Well, aloha from Maui, Hawaii. It's Michael Benner, and this is the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School, held every Sunday afternoon at 1 o'clock Pacific Time, 4 o'clock in the East. We're 21 hours GMT, or UTC, Universal Coordinated Time. And uh, happy to be with you on this Sunday before Christmas, this day before winter solstice and the day after Hanukkah and whatever holiday you happen to be celebrating. Uh, We hope that uh, you're enjoying yourself and excited and feeling the holiday spirit all around you. Um, East coast of the United States has some very severe weather, and I hope you're uh, not inconvenienced uh, by that, that wherever you happen to be, the worst of your weather is over. Uh, it's odd. Here in Hawaii, we have had some very beautiful weather, or we are on Maui for the last couple of days. And my partner, Steve Snyder, who, as the crow flies, is only about 15 miles away, uh, they've had uh, incredible thunderstorms and rain and so, crazy weather. But uh, wherever you happen to be, I'm sure glad you made it a point to be with us today. Hopefully you're live, but if you're listening to the replay, we appreciate that. And if you're not getting the newsletter, that's probably why you may be relying on the podcast and often forgetting that you could join us live Get the newsletter by simply going to theagelesswisdom.com. The T-H-E is part of the address, so it's the W's dot theagelesswisdom.com. And right on that first splash page, there will be a big button that says Michael's Free Newsletter. Click on that. Leave me your email address, and we'll send you a newsletter. It usually comes on Friday tells you about the upcoming webinar that we do here every Sunday afternoon and um, also a little about the upcoming premium audio program that Steve and I do together. Um, It's quite different than this class, although you'll learn a lot from it. We don't call it a class. We call it Compelling Conversations and Guided Meditations. It's studio quality and uh, I think you're going to really like it. So six of those classes, or there I just slipped. <laughs> These are the classes. Six of those audio programs uh, that are very much like classes, you'll learn a lot, are available for free, including a four-part series on how to learn. Uh, this is all a gift from us to you. You listen to those four parts on how to learn, whether you're a student or well, a student of any age, I'll say that. Um, or if you just want to learn to read faster or improve your comprehension, the idea of using states of expanded awareness to accelerate learning has well, really been well proven in the last 40 or 50 years. And we've got some state-of-the-art tools and techniques for you in this How to Learn program. We call it the Family Learning Hour. That is part of the six free programs that are yours with a built-in player and your own account page at focusedpassion.com.
www.thepeopleshow.com. So after class today, maybe you can trundle on over there and check it out. Get yourself a free account simply by leaving an email, and uh, you can choose your own password or put your email in the forgotten password field. We'll send you another one. It's real easy. And then you'll see when you log in a built-in player with all six programs. You can then in turn send those programs to your iTunes software or any podcatcher that you may have on your computer. You can also listen to those programs um, on the built-in player on the website. But uh, it's all very compact, all on a single page. And, you know, to subscribe is simply 99 cents a month, but you can get those first six for free. And I'd say check it out, try it out. You know, take it for a test drive, see how it feels. And if you feel smarter and, and more loving, if you feel more peaceful and more accepting of life after listening to one of those programs, well, don't be surprised. Just listen to another one. And, uh, again, send them to your, your podcatcher. You know, uh, you can get iPods now for $49 and other MP3 portable devices. And it's such a, you know, they auto-update. It's such a cool technology to without any effort at all, have a new program pop up on your portable player, your iPod or whatever, every week. Uh, these are powerful programs, so uh, I want you to know about that. It's those of you who support our larger effort with the $0.99 cent subscription that help us to stay ad-free, not only there but here, and provide all of the services that we provide with this podcast and the articles and the newsletter and so on and so forth. So hope you can check that out. 99 cents a week, less than $4 a month for some really high-quality premium audio programs. Okay. Well, our topic for the day today, as I mentioned, is the stress mess. And it almost sounds like the word Christmas, doesn't it? The Christmas stress mess, I could have called it. Because this time of year, we uh, often find ourselves under a lot of pressure, a lot of tension, a lot of anxiety, a lot of worry, a lot of doubt, apprehension, and anticipation, both good and bad. And all of those words are synonyms for stress along with the F word, fear, right? So we're going to talk about stress today, but mostly as it occurs in your daily life and affairs. Uh, a few months ago, we did a program on stress, and we focused on the particular stress disorders that are delineated in the DSM, which is sort of the Bible for psychologists, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, now in its fourth edition, DSM-4. So we talked about phobias and panic attacks and um, general stress anxiety and social anxiety. And, and um, we also talked about the relationship between stress and, and depression, for example, or just feeling low energy and, 
even a little bit about ADD, although few people in the profession of psychology or psychiatry, which is a medical profession, will admit that much of what's called ADD is simply stress or ADHD. And, you know, I'm not going to argue that all the ADD or all ADHD is stress-related, but uh, a lot of it is, I know, because I've worked with scores, I was going to say hundreds, certainly over a hundred, so scores of people in my private practice who've come to me with ADD and um, can't concentrate, can't seem to focus, having a a problem getting things done. They just feel antsy and nervous. And maybe they've even been, you know, many of my students and clients have been medicated in the past with various SRIs, uh, serotonin reuptake inhibitors like uh, uh, Paxil and Prozac and Wellbutrin and Luvox. And my God, there's uh, dozens of them now. Uh, thinking that there's something wrong with their brain chemistry or they have this genetic-based illness called ADD, attention deficit disorder in most cases, if not all. I I think it's safe to say my experience is that the majority of people who complain of having ADD are just wound too tight. We're just stressed. Uh, We're overstimulated. There you go. And um, and that can be good things or bad things. I think a good place to begin our conversation of the stress mess, which is anxiety and overstimulation in our daily life and affairs, is to point out that it's change and things unknown that cause stress. Now, danger is a change and something unknown that causes stress. But, you see, every human being is hardwired to deal with danger or a perception of danger, real or imagined, with the so-called fight or flight. And we are so close to the threshold of feeling endangered all the time that it just takes a little bit of extra anxiety to put us over the top We feel endangered, and automatically or autonomically, this fight-or-flight response kicks in. And tragically, because the anxiety is not danger but confusion, it makes things worse. It's an inappropriate response. Fight-or-flight is an automatic and wonderful survival-based autonomic response, but it's almost always inappropriate. It's only appropriate if the danger is clear and present, if it's real danger. And most of us are never in real danger. Um, The greatest danger that most of us experience is driving on the freeway in a big city or watching the news. Um, Too much TV news. I don't think it's a real good idea. Uh, I noticed surveys recently have said more and more young people especially are getting their news 
not from news programs on TV, the radio. Certainly they're not reading newspapers or news magazines. Young people increasingly are getting their news from The Daily Show with Jon Stewart, from Bill Maher, uh, from Stephen Colbert, uh, and, and comedians that, that do current event shtick. And it's uh, interesting commentary that we have to go to comedians uh, for the news, that that's the best context uh, for many of us. Uh, to view the insanity of the world around us. You know, um, you watch too much television news, and I can't say for you how much is too much, but you may have a sense of when you go, like, too far with that stuff, especially cable news. You start watching Rachel and then Keith and then Ed Bush, and, my God, three hours have gone by, and and, and you're, you're wired, you're wound tighter than a snare drum, right? You're so freaked out at how insane the world is around us. And here we thought Barack Obama was going to change things, and and now our health care went down the drain. It's a bailout for insurance companies, and it's almost too much to take. So what I'm saying is we need to limit our exposure to that kind of stimulus. But be aware that it's not only the negative changes in our lives and the things unknown that may just, well, have negative implications that cause our stress. Any positive change can be stressful also. A, a positive, an unknown that is likely to have a positive outcome is just as stressful. And I think, you know, the Christmas, Hanukkah, Solstice, New Year, um, Ramadan, the holiday season is a good example because there is the overstimulation and the, if you will, negative stress, the distress and the pressure of uh, having to get everything done, getting your cards out in time and doing all your Christmas shopping and finding the right gift for the right people and getting it in the mail. And, my God, uh, Doreen and I went to the post office yesterday morning, 11.30 in the morning. There's a line out the door and and down the block uh, at the post office. It was just crazy. So whether uh, it's the negative side of hurry, hurry, rush, rush, or the positive anticipation of, oh boy, I can hardly wait. We're going to have that dinner on Christmas Eve or that big get-together on Christmas Day. Or um, I'm looking forward to spending some time uh, doing this or that. I'm going to try and squeeze in a lot of activities on the few days off I have. And it doesn't really matter if this is a positive or a negative that the stimulus in our lives becomes stressful whenever it's excessive change and things new and unknown, all right? So it could be positive change, could be negative change, could be you don't know which way it's going to go. It doesn't matter. A birth in the family is as stressful as a death in the family, that Moving into a brand new house or moving cross-country, 
every bit as stressful as getting kicked out of your old place, right? Foreclosed upon. Coming into a lot of money can be as stressful as filing bankruptcy. And you say, well, I'd rather have <laughs> the former, right? I'll take that kind of stress. Well, okay, but understand my point. Stress is rarely about danger. That's just the way we respond automatically, as if it were danger, right? What it's really about is things unknown. It's about change. And if there's anything constant in this world, they say death and taxes, change. You can count on change. And even change itself has varying rates. So it speeds up and slows down. Change itself accelerates and decelerates. So there's even change within the change. And so we're overworked. We're overstimulated. We don't allow ourselves time to relax. And most of us, when we do relax, we find things that keep us busy so that we're really not fully relaxed. For example, you may say, well, I'm going to veg out in front of the TV, right? And so you're going to relax in front of the TV. But what is the program you're watching? It's probably an adventure or a drama. Um, maybe it's Howie Mandel opening suitcases. I don't know what excites you, but the whole idea of television and, and entertainment on television, or you may be watching uh you know, videos at home that you rent from Netflix or whatever, most of them are action-packed. And this is the second principle now that I'm going to present to you today that you've got to understand about stress, the first being that both positive change and negative change is stressful. It's just things unknown that cause stress. The second point you really got to understand is that the subconscious mind does not distinguish between real and imagined. Only the conscious mind does that. For example, you go to a film in your local neighborhood movie theater, pay your $12 or whatever it is now, and you go inside. The first thing you do, though unconsciously, is turn off the conscious mind, that part of the uh, of your attitude or your belief systems that says this is just a movie, it's coming from behind me, projected by light, I'm really watching shadows on the wall, and these are really actors who got paid to be photographed, and these are just shadows on the wall, but I'm going to forget that and really get into it. And we're good at that, amazingly good at that, such that by the time the movie ends and you go outside, you are emotionally and mentally affected by the experience of watching the movie as if it were real. I've told the story in the past about watching brush fires when I was in the news business and you know, all night long watching the fires burn down to Penga Canyon, to the ocean, and wondering 
you know, which of my friends was going to lose their house. Well, by 3.30 or 4 in the morning, you're just psychically drained. Why? Because the conscious mind knows you're only watching TV, but the subconscious, which is at least 90% of your mentality, doesn't have the ability to know whether this is real or not. And so the subconscious believes you're actually in a fire. And if we had tested you throughout the experience, your adrenal glands most likely are pumping adrenaline into the system, and fight or flight is beginning to take over. And again, you've you've got this conscious mind that prevents you from running out the door screaming. You know that it's really 20 miles away, and you're only watching it on TV. But nevertheless, you have that powerful emotional impact, right? You just feel drained. Well, that's happening all day long, right? And as far as that goes, you can even be stressed by the dreams you have at night. It's sort of a vicious cycle of expressing stress through dreams and compounding more stress. Again, we try to get away from it by feeling safe and certainly that's part of managing stress but even more importantly is recognizing that mostly stress is not about am I in danger or am I safe what it's really about is do I understand what's confusing me or am I still confused so Bottom line, whether we call it anxiety or nervousness or or worry or doubt, uh, use the big F word, fear, or call it stress, it's things unknown and confusing that cause the effects that we're going to talk about today, the mostly debilitating and negative effects of stress. And again, as I said, my first point, this can come out of good things as well as bad things. Stress can come from, oh boy, as well as, oh no. If you think of performances, you know, whether you won the game, let's say, or lost the game, you were still going to be wiped out. You You were stressed by the not knowing throughout the game. You were not in any danger. So all fear is fear of the unknown. Those of you who are note-takers, write that down. By any name, stress, anxiety, fear, it represents things unknown. Now, here's another point for you to write down for those of you who are note-takers. All stress is things unknown. And at the center of everything unknown, ultimately, is you. So I'm going to suggest to you today that the way out of the stress mess, that the best way to learn to manage, to reduce, but better said, to manage stress in your life, because you're not going to avoid it. You're not going to be able to avoid things unknown, right? Uh, So the best way to manage it is to take responsibility for it rather than feel like a victim of it. Understand that stress is 
almost never about danger. It's about things unknown. And the bullseye of those things unknown is you. What you understand least in the world is yourself. Because your eyes look out and your ears are listening to the outer world. And your whole body is for moving through and experiencing the world around you, the ocean around you, the, the environ, the environment around you. So much so that our interior sense of self, who we really are, our thoughts, our feelings, uh, the sensation of what it's like to be in a body, this is largely overlooked. And to whatever extent we are aware of ourselves, self-awareness, right? I think you ask ten people on the street what it means to be self-aware, it's likely nobody will be able to tell you. You say, this is my point. You go to school to learn about everything in the world except yourself. Where do you go to learn about yourself? Well, to seminars like this, I guess, you know personal development and spiritual growth books and audio tapes and lectures and and classes. I hope you're doing that. Because the more you know about the self, the more you realize you are not the frightened, depressed, overstimulated self, you can learn to be aware of the presence of a calm, relaxed, safe, still presence within you. But you've got to face what you don't know about yourself. You've got to face your fear. You've got to move directly into the scary idea of knowing who you are. You've got to be willing to do that, and most aren't. Most people will spend their whole lives avoiding opportunities to understand themselves simply by blaming other people and holding other people or circumstances, uh, groups of people, events and situations responsible for their thoughts and feelings. Well, you made me feel this way and you told me this was true. It's your fault that I believe this. I have no responsibility Right. Actually, we're pretty good at taking responsibility for our physical injuries and our health, and we're pretty good uh, at times taking responsibility for our thoughts. It's our emotional feelings that this is the area that's the hardest for most people to accept responsibility for, to understand that feelings are evoked from us, not done to us. We focus on the stimulus. You made me angry. What we should be doing is focus on the response. Why did that make me angry? How'd they do that? How'd they get under my skin? Remember that Eleanor Roosevelt quote, nobody can make you feel inferior without your consent. Nobody can make you feel bad if you don't agree with them. So why do you agree with people when they hurt you and insult you? Because you don't know the truth, right? 
because they're not teaching us in school, and we don't really have schools, public schools, for understanding the self, right? And yet that's what your stress is about. Stress is not about danger, rarely is it. If it is, you've got this automatic fight-or-flight response to help you deal with a real danger. You'll either fight or run like the wind. 99% of our stress is not about danger. It's about things unknown. And the vast majority of what we don't know about our lives is, who am I? And why do I think and feel and act the way I do? And only a very courageous woman or man is willing to follow up on those questions. So courageous that some literature refers to you as the spiritual warrior. A spiritual warrior is not somebody who prepares to slaughter another person or kill anybody. A spiritual warrior is one who's willing to face the fear that feels like danger. Face the fear that feels like danger, but is really a feeling of things unknown, to accept responsibility, to know that the bulk of that is about the self. It's the self that I don't really understand. I know more about the moon than I know about me. I know, <laughs> I know more about other people than I really know about me. Why do I say those things? Why do I think and feel and, and act the way I do? Right? How conscious am I? And if I really do understand this stuff, then why am I often surprised? And then reflect back on, yeah, why did I feel that way? Why did I say that? Why did I do that? Right? Why did I get so defensive and so freaked out and so angry? See? Because stress ultimately it points to or is rooted in what you don't understand about yourself. Knowing that, a willingness to explore the self to understand why you think, feel, and act the way you do is the greatest antidote, the ultimate antidote, maybe the only cure, if, there, if we can talk about cures and antidotes, the best way of managing, let's say it that way, our stress. To be a spiritual warrior is to be a warrior that carries a shield of love and a shield is a weapon that repels the enemy. So a shield of love, metaphysically you have to think of love as being magnetic. So love attracts like and repels the opposite. So a shield of love would repel the enemy. And then the other hand, the spiritual warrior carries a sword of truth. Love and truth go together. They're the same word. Another lecture for another day. Love and truth being the same thing. But they are. They're often hyphenated in esoteric literature. Love, truth. Well, the sword of truth is not a sword that 
that lops off arms or heads or lets blood or kills people. It's a sword that cuts through the veils of illusion, that renders illusion and allows you to see beyond the appearance of things to what's really happening deep inside. Truth. And so armed with a shield of love and a sword of truth, the spiritual warrior faces his or her fear. The process usually involves closing your eyes, taking a slow, deep breath. We'll, we'll do this, by the way, formally in this class today, as we always do in these webinars. We'll do a guided imagery exercise. So you take a few slow, deep breaths, and then let your breathing find its natural rhythm. Create and sense a feeling of relaxation with your eyes closed. These are three messages you're giving the subconscious mind that doesn't know the difference between real and imagined, that you're really very safe. Look, I'm closing my eyes. I'm letting go of muscular tension, and my breathing is slow and relaxed. Three messages that I must be safe. Yeah, I'm confused. Yeah, I'm stressed. Yeah, I'm wound up tighter than a snare drum, but it's not about any danger in the world. Even though stimulus from the world generated it, it's ultimately about me not knowing how to respond, not accepting respond ability, response ability. <laughs> The ability to choose your response. That's how I want you to think about it. You have an ability to choose what you do with what's done to you. You live in a world where very few people are aware of that. I'll say it again. You have an ability to consciously choose how to respond to what's done to you. Most people react, knee-jerk reflexively, using very low brain function, lizard brain. You know, you have a lizard brain, over the top of that a mammalian brain, and as a human over the top of that a neocortex, right, that corresponds to the human level. And the mammalian brain, well, that's mammals, that's animals of a rather high order, and then the lizard brain is a very basic, <laughs> reflexive, reactionary, stimulus-response kind of a system. When we're confused, that's where we go. We just react knee-jerk, right? And often have to later apologize or wonder why we behave that way. Why did I say that? Why did I get so angry? Why was I so defensive? Well, if you've come this far, then you can see that the questions are about you. Most people don't go that far. They'll say, well, I was defensive because they made me angry, and they made me feel this way, and then they made me say this. You see, as long as we play victim and refuse to accept responsibility but blame others, for our circumstances, even our most intimate feelings, then we give our power away, don't you see? 
you empower other people to make you feel ways you say you don't want to feel. He made me angry. Well, why did you give this person the power to make you angry? Or how did you happen to give this person power to make you angry? Why do you care? What is their credibility? Notice that somebody who is close to you, your spouse, a parent, a child, a very good friend, these are the people that you're most likely to give the power to hurt you by virtue of the fact that you're vulnerable to loving them. All right, So that's a two-way street. You love somebody, you allow the sensitivity and the vulnerability to this exchange of feelings. So if they say something that you perceive as hurtful or attacking or blaming, then you become defensive, which puts them on the defense. And you can feel the polarity shift from being attracted to being repelled. Right? Just leave me alone. I just want to get out of here. Some people actually walk out the door. Right? They can feel the repulsion. The polarities have flipped. So people that are close to us, we have understandably empowered through our love, through our vulnerability, to be you know, a little more sensitive and open to being hurt by them. We can account for that. And it's even easier, I would say, a good place to begin is to, in a similar way, account for empowering or giving your power away to other people to hurt you, even if you're not that close to them. You know, like, how far away from you does a guy have to live before you don't care what he thinks? If you come home in your brand new car and your son or your father says, that's the ugliest damn car I ever saw, that's so impractical, you spent what for it? You must be out of your mind. That's going to hurt more than if a guy a block away who you just see sometimes would say something similar. It wouldn't bother you nearly as much. Or some stranger who lives in another city says the same thing, makes fun of your car, why would you even care what they thought? What do they know? Right? It seems to me that the less we have invested emotionally in an individual's opinion, then the less likely they are to stress us out or upset us, make us angry or, or, or nervous or upset by what they have to say. Well, to me, that's fascinating. So if the guy that lives three blocks away, you don't care what he thinks, you don't even know his name, you just remember driving by his place a few times, he waved at you once while, you, while, while he was mowing the lawn, you don't even know the guy, what difference does it make? Well, how about a little closer, the guy that's only one block away? right? How much power do you give him to hurt you, to upset you? How strongly do you need his or her approval? Or the person next door, your best friend. Now we're getting closer, right? So do you see the way we give power to other people? 
we enable to pull from the drug community, we enable people to hurt us. It's like we show them where the buttons are and how to push them. Hey, you want to drive me crazy? Do this. (laughs) And I'll really be upset. I'm telling you, all of this is beside the point. Once you understand that ultimately all of our stress and anxieties and fears by any name, nervousness, worry, doubt, apprehension, that which angers us, depresses us, and upsets us is supported by the stress that always is primarily the result of what you don't know about yourself what we don't understand about ourselves. So the antidote is to know thyself. One of the oldest of the ageless wisdoms, according to Plato, Plato lived 500 B.C., this phrase, know thyself, know thy seetan, I think is the way it's said in, in Greek, was inscribed over the oracle to Apollo at Delphi in ancient Greece, 2,000 years before Plato. Right? Well, maybe not that long. Well, 1,000 years, certainly, before Plato. All right? So 2,500 years ago, maybe 3,000 years ago, this was one of the greatest wisdoms known over the oracle to Apollo at Delphi. In other words, on the way into church, you're reminded, hey, pray to God, but it's about you. Wouldn't it be nice if that was inscribed over every Catholic church, every Protestant church, every Jewish temple, and every Islamic mosque? And and I think the Buddhists already got this, and maybe the Hindus need to be reminded, and so on, but I think it... There was a little more awareness in the East, but I don't want to overgeneralize. Wouldn't it be nice if every time we oriented ourselves in a spiritual direction, it began with know thyself, understand yourself, find the God within, find the heaven within, right? Face your fear. That's the path. In in psychiatry and psychology, well, more psychology. Psychiatry is mostly about drugs. Psychology and social therapy, the phrase is essentially, the only way out is through. I like that. I think that's smart. How am I going to get out of this? There's only one way to get out of this stress and and this anger or this depression. See, all hurt is supported by stress. Fear. Everything that hurts is supported by fear. Everything that feels good is supported by love. That's all you got is fear and love. Ultimately, that's what we're working with. I'd like to develop that idea a little, too, that Fear has a relationship with ignorance, as I've already said. I'm implying that love has a relationship with understanding. So let's go beyond the implication and and flesh that out a little bit. But 
I want to make sure you understand that the cure, the, it's not really the right word, the antidote, the most appropriate response to feeling nervous and stressed and anxious, whether it's manifested as anger or depression or you just feel nervous and anxious, you know, a little bit, but it's not anger yet, doesn't really matter. As soon as you're aware that you're stressed, you got to own it. You got to go from looking out into the world at the people who are stressing you and the circumstances and the events and the situations that are stimulating the stress to the inner world, which is me. I'm the one that's responding to it. I'm the one that's agreeing with the guy that hurt my feelings, that made me angry. Well, why did I give that person the power to make me feel that way? Why do I even care what they think? You know, I think in many ways I was personally fortunate in stumbling upon this as a result of being a talk show host. And at first I thought, when I was doing talk shows in, uh, well, the late 60s really is when I began doing radio talk shows while I was still in college. But then after graduating in the early 70s, I did talk radio in Detroit. Then by 1975, I moved to Los Angeles, where I did talk radio until a couple of years ago when I came out here to Maui. And, and initially, I guess I thought what I was going to have to do is just develop a thick skin. Because if I was going to do current events and, uh, and uh, you know, really invigorating, exciting, compelling talk radio, I was going to have to get in people's faces. I was going to have to be confrontative and um, challenge people and deal with them challenging me. You have to put yourself out there, right? So maybe I just need a thick skin, I thought. Well, as I began to look at it closer and listen to air checks of myself, you know, in one instance handling myself pretty well, and in another instance losing it and handling it really badly, and then I would say, now, what's the difference? How did this guy get under my skin and push a button that caused me to get too excited and therefore lose creativity and insight, lose control? Right. Whereas I listened to an air check of another call where the guy is just as insulting and, and my potential to go on the defensive and get angry is just as great but I manage to handle it better. I don't give my power away. I stay cool, calm, collected, right? I might feign anger, but I was in control. I was orchestrating or acting, if you will, right? But not always. Sometimes I really did lose it. <laughs> so I had the good fortune of having a career that allowed me ultimately to figure out that I didn't need a thick skin. Quite the contrary. I wanted to let those feelings come in, but then take ownership of them. And if somebody could say something that would upset me, 
I knew that was about me, not them. And rather getting rather than, than getting defensive or angry at them, I would have to understand myself. And one of the tools, I don't want to get too far afield here and do a uh, how to do a talk show training today, but one of the tools that I figured out uh, that does have application in your daily lives is acknowledging some point in the argument of the adversary. Finding, <laughs> finding something when the argument is getting the hottest, right? And it's building and building and building. And I want to make it about me. I want to understand, even if I don't share it out loud, I want to understand how this guy's getting to me, right? I need some time. So one of the things I would do is find something in the guy's argument that I did agree with and acknowledge that and say, well, you know, we're not agreeing on very much of this, but there's one thing you said I can agree with, and that's blah, blah, blah. And the most amazing thing would happen. The guy would drop his argument altogether. All you have to do is just throw him a pittance, just acknowledge a little bit. We talk about this in reflective communication and, and how to do this in a more formal and elegant way in marriage counseling or in working out your own problems in relationships where there's a loving relationship involved. But uh, I would do it on the radio, a little bit of it. i just say, well, I, I'll tell you, there's one area where we agree, blah, blah, blah. The guy felt so good about having been acknowledged that he just dropped his attack at that point, and that gave me the opportunity to better understand myself. And that allowed me to regain my insight, my wisdom, you see, that's available to all of us. Instantaneous wisdom is available to you as soon as you begin to take ownership of the reality that's dancing around you. I mean, come on. Life is a two-way street. There's no question that stuff happens, (laughs) that life comes at you. I'm not saying that's not true. It's very true. I'm saying that's only part of it. It's a two-way street. There's also what you do with what happens to you, what it evokes from you, or what you consciously invoke in response to what's happening to you. All right? And so we say life is what you make it, but you've probably heard me complain before uh, not very many people really believe that. They may say life is what you make it, but you know, Kuwait, the existentialist, said life is the sum of the choices we make. Wow, that's brilliant. Can you step up to that? That your life is the sum of the choices you've made? Whew. Power in that. Freedom in that. It means you can have any life you want when you start making better choices. If only we would take ownership. The vast majority of stress in our lives can be managed. Whether the stress is eustress coming from, oh boy, and excitement change, or distress, the oh no, this is horrible kind of change, it's all stressful because it's all change and it's all things unknown, But when you take 
ownership of it and say, the part that confuses me the most, the part that's causing this stress, and 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 of which I am least aware, is the part that's about me. And I'm dedicated to knowing myself. Besides the old Greek, know thyself, um, there's that great line in uh, Shakespeare's Hamlet about to thine own self be true. And uh, Lao Tzu, the Chinese sage, who lived about the same time as Plato, uh, you know, 2,000 years before Shakespeare, Lao Tzu said the same thing pretty much as Plato. He said, uh, uh, you have to forgive the male pronoun here, but he said, uh, he who knows others is wise, but he who knows himself is enlightened. Uh, That's the deal. Right? Imagine living your whole life thinking that it was mostly about finding control over other people, managing other people, to create the kinds of relationships with other people, to acquire material goods, possessions, to possess them and to own them and to gather them around us and and then to live a whole life creating this external environment around you of relationships and things, and then realizing, perhaps as a very old person, oh my God, I forgot to know about myself. I was so busy blaming other people and holding them responsible, I never really bought into the fact that I'm making all of this up that I'm making it all up through my perception and response, that that reality ultimately is perception. And I never looked at the perceiver. I never looked at me. Too few people reminded me I should. You say, that would be tragic. So do it now. Don't wait till you're old. A lot of people grow old and die and never figure out why. You know, they're so you see these really angry, angry old people. What are they so angry about? I think we're on to it. And why is it that some old people are so mellow and like so peaceful and so wise? Because these are women and men that along the way have reflected upon themselves. I like the phrase ponder. Alice Bailey wrote a book, Ponder on This. I like the idea of pondering your existence, not the world around you. You, ponder on this. (laughs) Reflect upon this. Think about this. All right. Now, the, the practical part, having made this argument, the practical part of stress management is really contained in those three messages I talked about a few minutes ago. They are the cornerstone of meditation, contemplation, well, pondering, if you will, (laughs) reflecting, introspection. Um, It's close your eyes. That reduces about 86% of stimulus. 
just closing your eyes alone, right? Almost 90% of physical stimulus is visual. Close your eyes. Take a couple of slow, deep breaths, and as you exhale, feel the letting go of muscular tension. That letting go feeling, number two, closed eye number one, letting go feeling, letting go of tension number two, and the relaxed breathing that follows them. Ah. Three messages from the conscious to the subconscious mind that you may be stressed, but it's not about any danger. If there was danger, your eyes would be open and your pupils dilated, your muscles would be tight and full of adrenaline, and your breathing would be rapid and shallow as you get ready to either fight or run from the danger, real or imagined. So, again, antidote, I think, is a good word, is these three behaviors all rolled into a single practice that you can do for 60 seconds and make a difference. Did you know that? Most of the people I've encountered in my life, teaching meditation for 35, almost 40 years, have said, I just don't have time to meditate. Like, the only way to meditate is to be a Buddhist monk and set aside an hour at 5 o'clock in the morning. I don't expect you to do that. I'd be happy if you meditated for one minute. For one minute, five or six times a day. You see? That that blows your cover. That, that eliminates your excuse for not meditating. And we've got the research, we can see the benefits of just 60 seconds of becoming mindful. Just just for 60 seconds, close your eyes, turn away from the illusion, the delusion of the physical world and all of the madness out there. Take a breath, feel the letting go in your body of muscular tension, feeling safe and relaxed, drop the armor, and breathe gently and slowly, feeling very, very safe and relaxed for 60 seconds. Rechannel your thoughts from negative to positive. Create positive expectations, goals, and beliefs. Take another breath and open your eyes after a total of 60 seconds. You can't pretend you don't have time to do that. And we have the research to indicate that you'll be better, smarter, stronger, more loving, more sensitive, happier, more enthusiastic, healthier <laughs> as a result. Now, if you want to do 10 minutes of meditation or 20 minutes of meditation, that's great. Maybe even a half an hour. And as a spiritual discipline, you want to do more than 30 minutes of meditation a day, fine, go for it. I'm sure there are benefits that accrue. I don't think I've ever meditated more than 30 minutes at a time. And usually I was using uh, devices like uh, brain entrainment or light and sound machines, uh, running, running programs, in other words, that pre-recorded programs. 
of uh, binaural beats or uh, you know alpha tones, uh, whatever relaxing ethereal music. Um, again, flashing lights. We'll talk about brain entrainment again. I did a program about biofeedback and other relax uh, relaxation aids a few months ago. I'd like to revisit the idea of brain entrainment using binaural beats and flashing lights at various frequencies. Uh, a very, very powerful, safe and effective way to get into these altered states. And if I do a long meditation, it's probably with, because, because I'm running one of those programs. I love a 10- to 20-minute meditation. But throughout the day, I'll do one or two minutes. Just, you know, stare out the window. But instead of spacing out, you want to go to the same brainwave level but gently focus in, right? And be positive and affirmative in your thinking. But always come from a place of personal power by accepting responsibility. This may have been done to me. Maybe I created it. Maybe I co-created it. Maybe I am a victim and really was blindsided by it. That's hardly relevant. Those of you that are new to, like, Esther Hicks and want to be responsible for everything, you know, because Abraham said you're responsible for everything, well, that's not the place to begin trying to, reverse engineer how you got to this situation and blaming yourself for everything whether you created the situation you're in this one, that one, or some other whether you co-created it which makes a whole lot more sense no man is an island or whether you really are a victim in some sense and blindsided you still can be responsible for what you do with it able to choose a response response able and that's where the power is in that two way street of life being done to you and life being about what you choose to do with it the latter is much more important and that's where you can release the stress see go beyond I'm simply in a factor a target and life is done to me that's going to be stressful <laughs> right to Life is more about what I do with what's done to me. And be curious about yourself. I know the fear that if you begin a process of self-discovery, that you're going to find out that everybody who's ever been critical of you was actually quite right and accurate and true. You really are bad, stupid, wrong, and inadequate. fact is, you will not find that. A process of self-discovery may find areas where you can improve yourself. But essentially what it will confirm is what a wonderful, magnificent being you are. I've worked with thousands of people in my career. I've never found a bad one. I've found people that didn't know about their goodness and that had a hard time finding it or accepting it, right, uh, who refused to believe or or practice the techniques. But the game is rigged. Every human being is good and true and beautiful. Every human being. 
at the core of their being is sweetness and light, love. However, it's obvious that they can behave, they can ignore that and behave in very mean and selfish and evil ways. There is great evil in this world, much of it dedicated evil, robbery, plundering, murder, war, genocide. It's horrific. And you may find little solace in me saying, well, but deep inside they're all good. Well, I'm not saying it so you can know that about everybody in the world. I'm saying it so that you can know that about you. And so the game is rigged. As you discover the truth of who you are, you're going to find goodness and truth and beauty. The good, the true, and the beautiful is the way it's been said in mysticism from time out of mind. So that's the technique. There are other things you can do besides closing your eyes and breathing and relaxing, uh, expressing your feelings, very important. The use of humor in particular, humor is a loving effervescence, very important. Exercise, very important to managing stress. Just getting out and connecting with nature, walking in the grass, laying in the grass. When was the last time you climbed a tree or even hugged a tree or rolled down a grassy hill like you were six years old? Right? Too dignified for that, aren't we? Well, it could just be a stroll in the city park or the local mountains nearby or digging in your own garden in the backyard or repotting some plants for your balcony. Get your hands in the dirt, reconnect with nature. That's a big stress reducer as well. Anything that is an expression of yourself, uh, as I said, speak to your friends about your emotional feelings and your thoughts, but express yourself also through music, through art, through sports. This is all going to help you to know yourself better and manage stress in the best possible way. Most people who offer stress management programs are still telling you to manage the world around you. All right, Look for those people in this field that are telling you that your stress has less to do with the stimulus of the world around you than the response from the world within you. Those are the teachers I want you to follow. It will make more and more and more sense. All right, I'm not the only one. Lots and lots and lots of women and men that usually in some alternative health care field, your mainstream doctors are a little slow to catch on to this. They see you basically as a sack of chemicals, and that's about it. And uh, they have their value in your life. But it's these alternative health care people that usually have a much better understanding of stress. Uh, the yoga teacher, the the hypnotherapist, the massage technician, the um, acupuncturist, uh, shiatsu, those kinds of things, um, and uh, movement awareness people too. Remember the physical exercise and the physical training. Your body wants to move. All right. 
So many tools and many techniques, you want to do all of those things, but primarily the meditation, the contra, uh, contemplation, um, the relaxation, even in short periods, as they say, as brief as one minute or two minutes, uh, can, can probably do more than all these other approaches to stress management combined. And then knowing every day is full of stress, every day is full of things new and unknown, change will continue at, at varying rates, this has to be a daily adjustment for you to spend some time every day aware of the debilitating impact of stress, how it feels in the body, the feeling tired, the, the nervous, antsy feeling, the, the short temper, you know, quick to anger, and of course, the depression, oh, the deep, deep depression. Uh, or the attention deficit we talked about. Uh, these are just some of the primary symptoms of stress, not to mention illness itself. I mean, there's a reason illness is called dis-ease, <laughs> right? If you'd like to ask a question, use the box on the page in front of you. Click on Ask a Question. That box will go away and come back as you toggle it or you can make the box disappear with the X in the upper right-hand corner. That's for posting a question. I'm going to go to those now. Those of you on the telephone, if you'd like to uh, ask a question or make a comment, uh, press star 2 on your telephone touchpad, and we'll check those in just a couple of minutes also. Okay? And uh, we can unmute you one at a time and let you ask your question over the phone. Again, if you're doing both, <laughs> keep in mind there's about a 15-second delay on the web. All right. So let's uh, say hello to Charlotte in Montreal. And uh, she says, Happy Holidays, Maui, from Quebec. And thank you, Charlotte, from Montreal, Quebec. Nice to hear from you. Carl Postel in La Habra. Hi, Michael. Uh, this looks a lot different than last week. No problem at all. And everything seems to be working for Carol. That's good. This is a new system. We're figuring it out. Bill Jaffe in Canoga Park. Uh, he said he thought he had a problem, but everything's cool now. Just had to turn the volume up. And uh, he said this is part of his regular Sunday routine now. Thanks, Phil. I, uh, I appreciate that. Phil also asks if it's true that stress is the number one cause of cancer. Um, as I said, stress is an element in all illness. That's why it's called dis-ease, actually. Uh, different forms of stress affect us in different ways. And so, for example, you may have heard of a book from 25, 30 years ago called Type A Behavior in Your Heart. Type A is a certain kind of behavior, like the ADD guy, the hurry up, uh, let's get it done, uh, overdriven, go, 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 uh, no time to stop and smell the roses. That type of stress is very likely to affect your heart. A different kind of stress has, it is, it, I'll say it this way, is part of a cancer personality profile 
where um, yes, it's often called type C behavior. This is a kind of stress where your emotions are not expressed, uh, where they're held in. Um, lots of times people will develop cancer right after somebody they love dies. And uh, this was investigated, and it, it seemed like it was a difficulty processing the grief, a tendency to hold the grief in for fear that if they let go of the grief and got over the mourning process, they'd lose the love. So a lot of people make the mistake after somebody they care about dies of thinking that the best way to hold on to the love is hold on to the fear, hold on to the grief and the pain. And that's not true. You let go of the pain to feel more love. You grieve and mourn effectively to have more love and more peace in your life. So an inability or an unwillingness to express your emotions can cause stress to weaken the immune system um, and allow cancer rather than heart disease to get the upper hand. There, are, there is such a thing as an individual who has both, but if you look around, I think you'll find it's rather um, unique and unusual to see a person with both cancer and heart disease because they're two different personality types. Sort of interesting. Albuquerque, uh, let's see, I just scrolled it away. This is Diane in Albuquerque. She says, um, so when the manager is abusive, how do you not get angry? Well, again, you can start by blaming the manager because they did actually stimulate the anger. They caused it. Uh, there's a certain reality to that, right? They made you angry. They're your manager. They have an authority. Maybe they're even bringing up issues, Diane, that you have with authority in general. I know that's been a problem all of my life. Uh, I don't like being bossed around by somebody who is my boss only because they have the rank, but in fact they don't have the experience or the intelligence. You know, that's really frustrating for people. So you have to acknowledge that part of it. I'm saying, I'm not saying ignore it. Sure, this person made you angry. Fine, but then you go beyond what you normally would do, excuse me a second here, and uh, take some ownership by that, you ask yourself, Diane, how did they do this? Okay. Um, why do you care? If they're wrong, what I personally do is I, I keep reminding myself of that Eleanor Roosevelt quote. I've just used it for years. I used to have it on a on a placard in my office over my desk. Uh, it's run my life. <laughs> Nobody can make you feel inferior without your consent. Nobody can make you feel inferior without your consent. So to realize that the manager or anybody else could only hurt you, Diane, if you think they have a point. Or if you're not sure, maybe, maybe they're right. If you were absolutely sure of yourself, then their insults and their threats would just bounce off you, like you're Superman, right? They're just, it wouldn't affect. It'd be like, well, who are you talking about, right? 
And you would know that perhaps they're being abusive and mean and nasty, but you wouldn't feel it. You'd think it, but you wouldn't feel it because it's not true. And you might be confused, but at least you would know that it's not true. If somebody can hurt you, it's because they're touching some part of you that is yet to be healed. They're doing you a favor. They don't get credit for it, but they're showing you Anytime somebody upsets us, they're showing us where we need work, where we need to be healed, where where if only we knew ourselves better, it wouldn't hurt, right? So I, I know this is tough, but if you keep working with the idea, you'll get these insights as to what we're talking about, enormous freedom and power in all of that. Uh, let's see, who is this? I'm not sure who posted this. Isn't it ultimately all unknown? As Bob Dylan uh, writes and sings in one of his earlier works. Well, yeah, existentially, in the big picture, cosmically, our life is full of things unknown. This is what life is. You know, love extending itself into evil. I promised I'd talk about the relationship of love to understanding. And... Uh, fear to ignorance. So this is going to have to be it, I guess. As love extends itself into fear, another way of looking at that, in other words, as God extends itself into manifestation through human beings and animals and plants and so on, that's love extending itself into fear. That's all-knowing extending itself, reaching out into the unknown. And we're at the cutting edge or leading edge of that divine expansion of love moving into fear, of things known moving into the unknown. So that's our job, to redeem what we don't know into what we do know. But the bullseye of what we need to understand is not external but internal. So what we really need to re- to, to do to redeem ourselves and I don't mean this simply in a religious context, one lifetime, to redeem your soul. I'm talking about redeeming all of your confusion, your, forgive me, ignorance of self, looking at everything you don't understand about yourself so that you can begin to know and understand yourself. That's a daily redemption, an hourly redemption process That's the alchemical water into wine or lead into gold. That's what we do. It's who we are. and Yeah, it's ultimately all unknown, and we're in the process of knowing it and understanding it one incarnated soul at a time, you see. That's your job. And the sooner we make our lives about ourselves, this is the irony, and dedicate ourselves as spiritual warriors to understanding who we are, the more we have to give other people. And that's when we begin to feel completed. Your service to other people cannot be gratifying if you do that instead of knowing yourself. But to know yourself is to be aware that there has to be that follow-through and service to other people, but it's all in the order. Right, you got to get the pony in front of the cart. So 
the the self-interest of know thyself to thine own self be true, right? Self-help, self-improvement, self-development, personal growth. That has to precede service. And without either one of those, we're going to be incomplete. From Pittsburgh, John Bowles says, Seasons, greetings from snowy Pittsburgh and Mele Kalikamaka to you and Doreen. Thank you, John. In Tucson, Lorelai Hatch says, Happy holidays, Michael. Peace and love to you and Doreen. And uh, who else have I got? Robert in Irvine says, Thanks for the great class. Have a great Christmas. And uh, hope there's lots of magic and peace and wonder. But, and uh, let me say also, um, I think I mentioned this at the top of the show, but remember, uh, tomorrow is solstice, too. And the fact that Hanukkah and Christmas and all these other holidays are clustered around this time of year has a lot to do with it being uh, midwinter. Uh, the Christmas tree is hardly a Christian symbol. It's a pagan symbol, a fertility symbol for the shortest day of the year winter solstice is tomorrow and so day after tomorrow the days will begin to get a little longer and a little longer and the sun returns and you know how that works now so happy solstice that pagan celebration is really at the root of all these religious traditions ultimately um in Honolulu, Bert's with us today and he says uh, hello Michael happy holidays to you and Doreen aloha Bert, and thank you, Bert, aloha uh, to you, too. Well, I want to do our uh, visualization. I want to check the phones. I need to add some time to this. And so give me just a second, because these controls are all in new places now. So I've added a little time so we don't get cut off. And then let's see if we have anybody on the phone with a hand raised. Lots of folks listening by telephone. I'm glad you guys like this option. You know, the replays and podcasts, you have to listen on your computer. But if you listen live, you have this phone option. Still nobody with their hand raised that I can see. So uh, we'll just go to our visualization exercise and uh, take a few minutes to actually practice the most effective of all the stress reduction techniques, which is a simple meditation. And uh, so let's do that now, providing this is a good time for you. You know, if you're listening in the car with the opportunity to, to, to be listening by telephone live, you may be driving a car now. Um, I think it would be a good idea if you didn't do that unless you're really a practiced meditator I mean I know you won't close your eyes when I say close your eyes but um, you need your full attention to drive so listening to a meditation exercise while you're driving is not really a good idea even if you're a, a very good driver if you're a very good meditator you probably could uh, pull it off your responsibility but uh you know, if you're listening to us live on the phone and you're in the car, you might want to switch it off and then listen to the replay later. But we're
we're talking about responsibility today, so that's ultimately got to be your responsibility. Get nice and comfortable. Plump up the pillows behind you. Sit straight and erect, but not rigid. Rather balanced. Your shoulders back. Do a couple of shoulder shrugs and some head swivels in one direction and then the other. And then with your shoulders back, balance your head on your neck and shoulders and feel your whole body moving into balance as you begin to take a nice, slow, deep breath. And as you exhale, create and sense a feeling of letting go. And do that three or four times, a nice, slow, deep breath, ideally inhaling through the nostrils, and then after you peek, wait a moment and exhale just as slowly. You should be able to slow each one of those, the inhale and the exhale, to the point that I would say a good goal is six to eight seconds. Most people are around four seconds. It's hard to inhale or exhale longer than four seconds, but with a little practice, you can get to six or eight seconds. So, you know, like maybe 15 seconds, maybe four breaths a minute is a nice, slow pace for somebody who feels safe. And if it's hard for you to breathe that slowly, if some part of you wants to hurry up and exhale or hurry up and gulp the next breath, well, that's your friend, stress. That says, you're in danger, you're in a hurry, gulp that air. (laughs) And you go, no, I'm not. Ah, I've got all the time in the world. And particularly on the exhale side, create and sense a letting go feeling. Muscles relaxing and unwinding, feel the letting go in your body. And then allow your breathing to find its natural rhythm. As you begin to visualize in your mind's eye an image of a place of perfect peace, a beautiful garden, an Eden, a paradise of some sort. And imagine yourself just wandering through this beautiful place. Could be a sunny meadow or a forest, maybe a lonely stretch of beach. You might be high in a mountain or deep in a green valley. Have some water there. I think it's always nice to have a little lake or a pond, maybe a little spring or running stream of some sort. Sunny open places and cool shady places. The feeling you're making all of this up is exactly right. Let my voice guide you as you allow yourself to imagine hearing 
birds singing. That's easy to pretend. And, and even the wind in the tops of the trees. And feel the gentle warmth of the sun when you step out into the direct light. And how it's a little cooler in the shade in the forested places. And allow yourself to, as deeply and completely as possible, feel as if you actually are in this beautiful place of perfect peace. And find a place to sit. Maybe a grassy spot over there or down here by the water or out there in the middle of the sunny meadow. It's such a nice day. But as you sit upon the earth, I'd like you to imagine yourself rooted into the earth. Do this for every meditation exercise this is the induction. This is just the getting there. Take two or three minutes to imagine a beautiful place, a garden, an Eden, of perfect peace, an ideal relaxation. Imagine the sounds, the smells, and the feelings of being there as you sit upon the earth. And feel connected at the base of the spine. Connected to the earth. As if there is a path for the life force, the chi or ki, the pranda, or the prana rather, or the kundalini, the odic force, the alam, the Holy Spirit. To precipitate down through the top of your head, filling the brain, flowing down the spine, and into the earth. And that as you become even more relaxed, feeling even safer and more at peace, that spine and brain, that path becomes a path of least resistance as you continue to relax and let go. And so more energy flows, more elan, more of the chi or ki flows through you, seeking a ground, the common ground of the one life. For all energy flows to the earth. It's sort of a spiritual lightning rod between the above and below, between the sky and the earth, between the spiritual and the material. You are the path. And the more you let go, the safer you feel in your muscles. By exercising like this, eyes closed, feeling so safe and relaxed. 
there is less and less and less resistance. And so you are filled with more and more light, more and more love, more and more peace, and more and more understanding. It's as if filled with this energy, you begin on the horizontal to emanate or radiate this peace, this love, this light in all directions. You become a radiant being as the flow of energy down your spine becomes greater and greater. You let go of your resistance to being the best you can be. You let go of fear and allow love and peace to be the path. Love is the way. Which makes you radiant and you feel that letting go. You emanate, you radiate your peace your light, your brilliance, your insight, and your understanding now can be shared. Once you are filled with it, you can offer it to the world. To attempt to be of service to others without caring for self first is to give from a largely empty vessel. And so today what we've called the stress mess, the muscular tension that blocks this flow, that comes from an inappropriate response, thinking all of our stresses are about danger. We now see our stresses are about what we don't know. And at the center of all things unknown, is the self and that our ultimate goal to help other people to be of value and service to humanity to your family your community your nation and your globe requires you to be interested and passionate in who you are as a unique individual and what you're capable of So use sessions like this on a daily basis to ask yourself about your stresses, particularly about your hurt feelings. If someone or something made you feel sad, ask yourself, why? In these levels of peace and relaxation, with this degree of openness to insight and understanding. Say, why am I feeling this way today? As if asking a part of yourself that really knows and understands. A higher self that has the answers. Invoke repeatedly whenever you feel a benefit in being reminded that quotation today we've attributed to Eleanor Roosevelt that 
no one can make you feel inferior without your consent means nobody can hurt you without your permission, your buy-in. And it's not a direct buy-in. You're not saying yes to their abuse and their insults. You're saying, I don't know. And so because you don't know, it hurts. Nobody can hurt you without your permission, without your buy-in, without your approval, without your confusion at least. And so to know yourself is to stand before an abuser, someone who's hurt you and hurting you with the peace of mind and the peace in your heart that says, maybe silently and internally only, that's not true. You may want to say that out loud. You may find it wiser to say nothing aloud. But in your mind and in your heart, you can say to yourself, this insult, this abuse, I know it's not true. In fact, as I think about it, in these levels of safety and relaxation and peace, those abusive words seem to be more about the person speaking them than me. And again, you may not want to say that out loud, though in some situations you might need to. But even if only you knew in your heart of hearts, that abusive language is more about them than me. And then you can move to compassion. You can actually feel sorry for the person that's abusing you. You can recognize how pathetic and pitiful they are. That the only power they know is in trying to bring you down or hurt you. And you can learn to love them anyway and forgive them doesn't mean you have to like them or hang out with them, spend quality time with them or invite them over for dinner, but you can forgive them. Again, maybe even just secretly and silently by realizing through compassion how pathetic they are and how their words, though intended for you, actually say more about them because you now know yourself and what's true and what's not true. A humble confidence. There's no arrogance in this. Can you feel that? There's no defensiveness in this. It's a sweet and simple, humble understanding of self. A feeling you can bring with you back into the room as you prepare to open your eyes wide awake. As you remember the room around you, take a nice, slow, deep breath. And now as you exhale, open your eyes wide awake and alert, back in the room, feeling fine, bringing with you that whole affect gently and sweetly. And understanding 
what to do about the stress mess. Okay. Again, remember this program and each Sunday webinar is available uh, as a podcast and streaming replay on theagelesswisdom.com. We want to invite you to be a contributor for just 99 cents a week at focusedpassion.com. Let your conscience be your guide on that. 99 cents a week will bring you the premium audio program that Steve and I do, studio quality, personal and spiritual development. The series is called Finding Yourself in Paradise at focusedpassion.com. Subscribe for 99 cents a week. You can forward those programs just like you forward these programs without charge to as many people as you want. Both websites have gadgets to help you forward these shows, and we'd really appreciate it. Then we can stay ad-free. It helps us to pay for the bandwidth as we get more popular. Not a lot of money. Uh, It's more about the effort, really, of breaking up the debit card, the ATM card, and, uh, and just signing on for 99 cents a week. Even weeks with five Wednesdays or five pad podcasts, we still only charge three ninety six. All right, so that's a pretty good deal. And uh, I hope you have a very very happy holiday. As always, be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. Aloha from Maui. This is Michael Benner. Bele kalika maka. <laughs>